even for me, this is this is a hard one to believe in that I'm. Uh, oh, hi, welcome, welcome. It's me, the real John Baker, or just John Baker, or Yankel, as I'm known in the Chabad community. Um, but I'm back. Too lazy to write. We're back. Second week in a row after you know a hiatus of 47 weeks or whatever it was, and then an interview, and then a month off, and then an, uh, and then a little ramble, and and now I'm back, and I got an interview. I got an interview, and before I tell you who it is, I'm going to say this: uh, the the person I interviewed, the friend of mine. Uh, an old friend. I hadn't talked. I hadn't seen him. I, I, we still don't know when the last time was we saw each other. He's a uh, Toronto, a Winnipeg born and raised uh, Toronto now. Lives in Toronto. Probably lived there. Good lord, probably thirty years. Um, anyway, uh, it's good. a friend of mine, Ari Posner, and uh, you might recognize his name because uh, he has been composing for. Uh, I'd not. I, I was going to just say Canadian. Uh, film and television and uh, and recording, but that's not even the case. He's been recording for so many different um, productions, um, you know, stuff that you'll find on PBS, stuff you'll find on uh, Netflix, stuff you'll find on Canadian television, stuff you'll find um, in your, I was going to say record store, but, you know, that's not a thing. He's a Juno Award winner. He is a winner of the uh, Canadian Screen Awards as well. And um, he is a multi-talented musician, and we first met um, 30, 1989, so whatever that is. My math is terrible. But what I wanted to say before I got into the interview was this. It was too damn long b- between times that we have spoken, Ari and I. So if you don't get anything out of this interview, if you stop halfway through, if, if it bores you silly, here's what you just I want you to get out of this. I mean, aside from it was just great talking to him and he's done so much. And we talk about, uh, you know, we talk about Spirit of the West and, and the late John Mann. And we talk about Oscar Peterson and Ari had a uh, a few encounters with him. You're going to have to listen, you know, to uh, to hear about those. Um, just some, some really interesting stuff. He's so modest and he's very um, just relaxed and we had such a nice chat. Um, but what I want to tell you is... Call your friends. If you haven't spoken to them in one year, in two years, 10 years, five years, 15, whatever, call them. Send them a text. Well, if you haven't talked to them in a while, you probably don't have their phone number. But (laughs) reach out to them. LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Facebook, other channels I know nothing about. Um, Find them and say hi to them. Because before you know it, it's 20 years later and you feel like a heel because you haven't, um, you know, been in touch with them. So I'm going to get to the interview now. Like I said, um, you know, you could find his website, arimusic.com, A-R-I music.com. I mean, we talk, like I said, we talk about Oscar Peterson. We talk about the late John Mann. Um, we talk about his musical influences and are they still influencing him? Some of the shows he's worked on, like Let's Go Luna and Flashpoint. And of course the anthem he wrote for, uh, for the Winnipeg Jet great Timu Solane that, uh, you know, it still rings in my head every now and then. I want you to listen. I want you to enjoy it. Um, so here it is. Ari Posner and I have a little chat. I apologize for the lawnmower sounds you might hear throughout or at some points because I was doing the interview uh, outdoors. I'm talking with a fixture of the Canadian music scene, a fixture in Canadian film and television. How are you, Ari? Yeah, hi there. Yeah, that's me. I'm I'm still I'm still hanging on the wall here. 
I, I um I'm pretty good, man. I'm pretty good. I'm yeah. Just before I got on the phone here, I was trying on the call. I was trying to remember when the last time I saw you was. It's been ages ago. I, I honestly to God cannot. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I could remember. Like it's decades. Yeah, I was wondering actually this morning, um, because I, I was doing the math. I think my first year at Pripstein's was eighty nine, but I or eighty eight. 80, 80, the summer of 88, 89 makes sense. Or maybe 89. Was, maybe it was 89, 90, I think. But that, I believe, uh, that's when we first met. Absolutely. Yeah. And, was, then, uh, and then, of, of, of course, we spent time at York. Like <laughs> quality time. I know, a really long time. Um, <laughs> But I, I can't believe that like we first met over 30 years ago because I don't feel the age I'm, I am. <laughs> you know, who does? I mean, my dad's 79 and he still says the same thing. He says, oh, I still feel like I'm in my 30s. But <laughs> Yeah. Do you ever like, I'll see like high school students. Well, my kids are in high school and I'll see them and I'm like, yeah, I could fit in. I could fit in with this group. And I can't. <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance. No. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, but how have you been? How funny is it that I, I, I contacted you last week and then you bumped into my brother like the next day? Oh, I was going to ask you if you knew that. Yeah, that is such yeah. a coincidence. I know. So what brought that on? You just you needed a getaway? Oh, my wife and I have been going to St. Anne's Spa for like once a year for the last few years anyway. When the kids, okay. the kids are off to camp we take a night and just treat ourselves and um and right when we walked in i saw him and uh was it Rena? is that her name yeah 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 and i totally like i don't know if he totally recognized me right away and and me too but we both kind of did a double take and then it was like hey that's so so funny (laughs) now yeah we could we could reminisce well, that probably if won't wanted be to. that interesting for your listeners. I don't know. <laughs> My listeners. I like how you pluralized it. <laughs> I I have been lucky. Like, the, So the reason I started this, not that you asked, but the reason I started this was that I, I know so many people, yourself included, who have gone on to accomplish amazing things in their life. And, uh, and I wanted to talk to them because, you know, there's you and I, I, uh, I know a number of like a, a couple of film producers in Toronto who I've spoken with or just producers in general, I should say, and other mus- and musicians and, and comedians and whatnot. And I find everybody has an interesting story to tell. Do you, uh, do you think that's true just with anybody? Well, uh, first of all, I, I appreciate that you're putting me in that category of having accomplished uh, you have some, some things in my life, but uh um, I don't know. I guess maybe it seems like you're 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 focused more on, at least what you just mentioned is more in the arts world. I don't know if you also uh, interview people that are accomplishing things in business or in science or in other things like that too. Or I've talked to one or two people in business, um, but it's kind of been in sort of like a I don't want to say pop culture, but it sort of has been that kind of entertainment genre like i spoke to one guy who um 
created a, a line of clothing called uh, Ebbetsfield flannels, and they're all based on old designs of old uh, baseball and, and football and, and hmm. some hockey. Um, so he's, you know, so it's still like it's it's business, but it's it's still like in that kind of sports pop culture kind of, you know, current clothing trend. I guess I, I don't I, really know. Yeah, I understand. Know. I understand what you mean. Yeah, you're not you're not generally in interviewing investment bankers or. Um, no, <laughs> I would have absolutely nothing to ask them. Right, right. It's like when I see stories about how the stock market performs, or be like, the Dow's up today. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I don't have, I don't like, have, I don't really follow it too much myself, but. I'm like, good for the Dow. Good for the Dow. <laughs> so uh, where are your, what camp did your kids go? Do your kids go to uh, the one up north in Toronto? Well, there's, they're actually at three different camps. It's, it's complicated. One, one's now a staff for his, this is his first year as staff at Solalim. So that's up near Sudbury. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then my middle guy is at Camp New Moon, which um, is a place that he's, he loves, but you know, it, it was not a place that any of my other kids ever went to. Um, and my daughter's at Camp Ramah. So fortunately for us, there's no visiting days this summer. So yeah. we don't have to worry about going three different camps. Are they, do they just do the Zoom? I know last year was a Zoom was a, a big visiting day uh, replacement. I don't think that their camps even did that. I think they got like a call or something like that. I mm. can't even remember. Um, and actually Camp Newman was supposed to have a visitor's day. That was the only one that was going to have it. And then they just announced that they're calling it off just to be safe. So it makes um, sense. Yeah. And you know what? I don't really believe in visitor's day in, anyway. <laughs> I think it's not. no. <laughs> when when my daughter was going to Campanay Breath of Ottawa, we'd go, and she was younger, but we'd go up on Visitors Day, and then that you know, fifteen minutes before you start to leave, when like the waterworks come on, it's like God, I don't, I don't yeah. want to deal with this. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I don't think it's it's not necessary. I mean, it's really it's it, yeah, it's totally not necessary. My my son is at a, a summer camp in Maryland, about an hour away from here. And um, I think it was three days after camp started, we get an email, you know, in the morning, hey, just want to let everybody know uh, there was a, a fire in the in the dining hall, but everybody's okay. And like the tone of the of the email is very, don't worry, right? Right, 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 right. Well, that's good. Yeah, then you Google the name of the camp with the word fire and there's like chopper photos oh god of like the dining hall burnt to the ground like oh, it is not you... there <laughs> this was not just a fire in the dining hall <laughs> no no this was not like you know what like somebody like left a a, a stove on and a rag caught on fire this the, was the like... dining the dining hall was in the fire more like yes <laughs> this was like 20 my, my son wrote me that it burnt for 27 hours oh my god that is yeah highly dangerous on a camp yeah. thing like that yeah wow. but they 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 may do and they they built a uh like a, a tent company came up and provided you know a tent for the for the dining hall for the makeshift dining hall and right it's going well it's going yeah. well good stuff where do you live um we live in uh, a town called reston virginia which is about half an hour outside of dc 
Wow. And I, yeah. so, I mean, forgive my many questions. Okay. How long have you been there and why did you go there? We moved here six years ago. Six, yeah, it'll be six years around now. Um, for my wife, for Jen's job, my wife's job. She got a, a job offer with a company in a town called Tyson's or Tyson's Corner. Hmm. Um, and uh, within like three months of her accepting the job, we had sold our house in Ottawa and uh, found a place for rent here. And then we moved here and then we rented for two years and we finally bought something. And uh, it's been interesting. It's definitely been, it was a change. That's a pretty big upheaval. Yeah, especially when you're in your 40s. It's Yeah. And how old you know, were the kids at that time? Um, so my daughter was just entering eighth grade, I think. Oh. She had just had her bat mitzvah. Tough time and, to move. Yeah, and my son was was still in in elementary school, but it worked out well for them. I mean, they've you know they've now been with the same group of friends for five years, and, and she couldn't have been she couldn't have been happy about that in grade eight. No, not at all. <laughs> we were we were awful people for for a good a good year. Right, um, and all she wanted to do was go back to Canada and, and you know see her friends and. Uh, and then it changed, you know, then the tide changed and the Canadian friends weren't the priority and the American friends became, you know, the priority. But it's, um, it's, it's, I think if you're going to move at a, like at a, at a later stage of your life, two years is a good time frame to, for, for adjustment. Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to just, you know, move into a house and everybody's going to be like, Hey neighbor, let's, you know, let's get to know each other. No, for sure. And when you're a teenager like that, it's, uh, it's, you yeah. know, there's all kinds of other stuff you're coping yeah. with. Right. I mean, I like to say when I moved to Toronto from Winnipeg, it, uh, I often say it took five solid years for me to get used to the size of the city, um, find friends that I liked. Yeah. Just, you know, kind of get used to the, the, I don't know, just the whole different vibe of it. And for a long time, it was just, it just didn't feel like home. And then it did, you know. And But you've now, I think, lived in Toronto longer than you were living in Winnipeg, right? Yeah, for sure. Because I moved here to go to York in, uh, it was 89. It was that, it was the, the fall after that summer that we met. Right. Um, I think it was 80, like 89 that I started yeah. in 90. And then, um, and then, I, you know, I still didn't really consider myself a Torontonian that, at that point. I, I, I was still always going back to Winnipeg for the summers and for holidays and for, you know, any chance I had to see friends and whatnot, whatever. But, but after I graduated, I, I realized I, I should stick around in Toronto if I was going to make any kind of a go of a, a career in music and and so then you know that's when it kind of became home and, and but but again like it, it was five solid years of like you know not quite feeling awesome here was uh was music was there ever a, a plan b or was music it there was only a plan b for me when i first started school at york because i didn't 
I really didn't have it in mind as a, as a career at that point. I, the, the whole reason I went to York to do fine arts was because I thought it would be a fun way to just get my undergrad, you know? Um, like I had already done a year of general arts at University of Manitoba. That's where I did my first year. Okay. And, um, and then it's like, okay, second year's coming around. What are you gonna major in? Well, I knew I wasn't going into sciences. I'd already ruled that out ages ago. And so do I wanna major in psychology, economics, philosophy, like all these sort of options. I just, nothing was really calling to me. And, and you know, I just, I knew I liked music and I knew I was reasonably um, good at it, I guess. And and I, I had, a, I, I, my family had some friends who who had a daughter that was already at York at the fine arts program so i remember meeting with her and she told me about it and uh and it sounded cool so i applied and i got in but really my plan was okay i'm just gonna go and this will be a fun way to get my arts degree and then i'm gonna go to law school that was was my original plan Um, i don't know why i mean i guess because my dad was a lawyer and just seemed like a relatively I don't know, something I would be capable of doing, but, right. but, but, but it didn't take long at York. Like once I started really uh, in that first year getting into the program and just like, it was the first time in my life where I really, really felt engaged in school and like was up in the morning looking forward to certain classes and teachers and, you know, I, and I, I was excelling in it and it just, and I was around like-minded people and, and, um, it, it didn't take long before I realized I'm not going to law school. Like this just doesn't seem <laughs> less and less likely, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't really have a plan B. I mean, I, in a way I, I would say that my plan B is in, in, in some ways is doing music for TV, which is mostly what I do now. Um, because originally, originally my dream was to become a songwriter. Like I wanted to be someone who was writing hit songs for artists and, Uh you know, having my songs covered on albums. And, you know, I used to spend a lot of time writing and recording demos, sending them out to music publishers, sending them out to artists. But it turns out I wasn't so incredibly skilled at at that, at least in, in the pop song sort of capacity. I mean, I do, I still do lots of songwriting for, for specific purposes for television shows, but and, and I think I'm I'm reasonably good at that. But but I, I just was never able to make a go of it as um, as a songwriter, songwriter. And then you know it, I started to find my way into into TV underscoring by just meeting the right people here and there, and that all of a sudden I started to find like oh I can actually do this and I can do a job and I can get paid for it and I'm writing music and it was sort of one thing leading to the next, uh, you know? You know, you talk about you're not a songwriter, but while you were saying that, I do remember you wrote a song for uh, Winnipeg Jet superstar Timu Solane. Right. Your brother brought that up, too. He did. Yeah. <laughs> did he really? <laughs> yeah. He said, I was just thinking about you for some reason the other day, and I, I don't know why, but it had something to do with Timu Solane. <laughs> I, I just remember that Timu Solane. <laughs> you can recall Solane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, was more a great. Of, it was more of a chant, really. <laughs> <laughs> but still, 
is he in the Hall of Fame? Because if he isn't, that should I don't be played. Know. If he, that's I a good know. question. That's a good question. Um, well, that was one of my early efforts for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's like it's that's a, actually a, a good example of something that I learned pretty early on in songwriting is that it's one thing to it's one thing to write a good song, and that's hard enough. And I'm not saying Timo Solani was a good song, by the way, but I'm just, it's, it's one thing to do it. And then it's another thing to actually get the right person to hear it and have right. all the ducks that line up in a row to get it, an artist to say, I like this song. I want to record yeah. it, you know, and that's a place that I just never got to, um, you know, despite despite some close some close calls here and there and, and the opportunities to work with some really amazing uh like co-write with some amazing songwriters but it just it just never happened and 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 you know simultaneously i i, I was able to start to to make my way into the scoring world in television and sometimes movies and that's just where life took me am, am i mistaken or did the did the tv show flashpoint have a have a big impact on on your career Huge, yeah. It was it did, huh? absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, that was a that was a life changing gig, you know. A, 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 maybe a once in a lifetime opportunity. I don't know. I mean, if I were living in L.A. and and um, more ensconced in that scene, maybe not a once in a lifetime. But up here, yeah. up here, that was a really rare opportunity. And um, I, I I wrote the music for that show with my collaborator Amin Batia who was a mentor of mine and um, we, we did five seasons of that show 75 episodes and it was it was a big hit like it was a big hit here and it was a big hit around the world even on CBS in, in the States which was you know for us that was a big break. Well I remember that because didn't didn't CBS pick it up because there was the writer's strike going on at the time and they needed yeah, uh, programming to fill, or am I wrong? No, no, that's that's that was probably the the impetus for it, and and that's what opened the door to it. Um, I don't know that they would have been looking otherwise, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but as it happens, it was it was a really solid show, and it was sort of a groundbreaking show for Canadian TV. Like the 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 thing that so many people used to say to me and to my writing partner when um, when they found out that we were working we were doing the music for that show it's a very common comment they'd say can't believe that show's canadian you know <laughs> yeah because it just didn't look canadian and it just didn't right. feel canadian and the and the producers um made it in a way that was sort of bold and beyond what most canadian tv dramas had done up till that point now since then there's been a lot of great ones and and that have followed it i think in in the footsteps but i but i do feel like flashpoint kind of paved the way for for them in some in some ways you know well canadian like canadian dramas always seem to have a certain look about them or a certain like cadence in the in the in the acting or in the writing i found like you can always tell like street legal was sort of the Canadian LA law, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's right. And, but flashpoint was not, there was no American show that was similar. I don't think. No. And it was, and it was trying to get inside the heads of, you know, what's it, what in on American TV probably would have been like more of a tough guy job, you know, like this is the SWAT right. team 
and we're yeah. taking down we're taking down people in high risk hostage situations and that kind of stuff but it was it was not a violent uh show and it was really trying to get behind the psychology of how do they peacefully you know negotiate these situations and you know i learned a ton from it like they did so much research appropriately the the writers did and had consultants on it and um you know the very first episode was based on a real a real event if i remember correctly that happened uh where someone uh had a had a hostage at knife point i think it was here in toronto actually and um and they had to they had to shoot him you know and it was the and you 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 saw like you know you had uh what was the actor's name from the headstones uh hugh dillon Okay. was was the uh, was the sniper and you know in the in the very first episode you see that at near the end of the the show him him taking a shot at this guy from the from a rooftop and not sure if he actually hit him at first at first he thinks that he hit someone else uh and then you see him just kind of like sort of sort of like losing it on the rooftop and like bending over and puking and like just being totally you know, overcome with emotion and fear and feelings. And that stuff ultimately got cut because oh. CBS didn't want to put that on an American, you know, channel. Like yeah. That. Right. They didn't want to show that these people are, are like fallible and human. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So oh. it's interesting. It's interesting. But there's been lots what? of great shows since. I mean, you know, I, I, by the way, I was just going to backtrack for a second. One of the things, there's two other things that make, I think, shows in the past seem really Canadian. Uh, one of them is lighting. It's like, it, yeah. it, it, I've talked to, to directors and showrunners who just say like, why is Canadian TV always so overlit? Like, it just looks like a, 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 a set from a, on a play, like <laughs> or something, you know, where it's like, well, don't be afraid of, of having things be a little shady and you can't quite, you know, see everything. Like if you watch Ozark or something like that, you, you know, right dark it's it looks cool right um but the other thing which was more relevant to us was that the producers were not afraid of sound and they really uh pushed music in that show so it was a drama somewhat like uh remember the show 24 with Kiefer Sutherland yeah yeah so so the score was somewhat like that in the sense that you've got a 42 minute show and there's literally 40 minutes of music in the show. It's just constantly going and you don't notice it, but it's there, you know, and sometimes you notice it because it takes the foreground, but then it ducks into the background. But there's there's never really any of these long places where things are quiet. And and uh, in, in other Canadian shows, there's more quiet than than um, your typical US drama, you know? Okay, yeah. I'm gonna have to look out for that now. Mm. When, but. It's something I've wondered, like I, I'll watch, let's say, Law and Order, and you know when they're, let's say, uh, awaiting the the verdict, you know, when the when the jurors are walking back in, they're usually playing the same or a similar version of the of the same music. Is that something? Yeah, like that's there's a common? theme. Yeah, there's like right. a, a theme for that particular situation, right? So it's always like jury walking back in. We're gonna underscore it with with this. Yeah, musical. Yeah, piece. that's okay. very common. That's very common. I mean, and I'm sure there's variations of the same right. theme. You know, for slightly different jury situations. Maybe it's 
a little more seriously. Maybe it's a little more light. I don't know. But but yeah, like oftentimes um, the scoring of a TV show or even more often in a movie situation is like a theme and variations. You know, you do have a couple of main themes that tend to come back and, and that's a, a useful thing for for the story, right? Like to right. help tell the story. Are you watching while you're composing, are you watching it on a on a screen somewhere or are you just being told, okay, this is a hostage situation, uh, similar to what you described with the rooftop scene we need something to go with that? Or are you looking at the images? No, absolutely. It, it, music is one of the last things in the process. That's It's part of what they call the post-production process. Mm -hmm. And so we don't usually start until there's a locked cut that we get, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the editors already cut it together. The director's been through it. The producers like had their notes and then everything is, is like a locked picture. And that's usually when we start. Um, in recent years with the advances in technology, it's become easier for us to start on like sections, you know? So maybe maybe we'll get an act, like the first act of the show or okay. the first act of the film and and get moving on that just to start start the process sooner. Because oftentimes these, these days with, with the technology, it's also put kind of downward pressure on the deadlines and whatnot. But um, but it is you're usually looking at a scene and 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 um you know one of the first things we do or if it, or if not the first thing we do is we have what's called a spotting session where we sit down with the showrunner and watch the sh the show from top to bottom and we make like a shopping list of all the cues and dis and deciding where they're going to go this cue, this piece is going to start here on this frame and it's going to go through this scene and it's going to carry us over this transition and it's going to peter out over here and just you know tail off under this conversation that kind of thing and we make very detailed notes about that stuff and that, that's how we get going is we have a you know essentially a spreadsheet with a list of of cues to write are you what are you working on now or can you not say <laughs> no there's nothing top secret <laughs> nothing top secret um i uh well during covid um I guess I was fortunate enough to keep busy with a couple of animated series, that, yes. um, one of which had already begun before COVID and sort of continued on during COVID. Um, and, and, you know, part of like a lot of things shut down and stopped, but uh, when, when COVID hit, uh, excuse me, in the, in the TV and film industry, but animation was one of the first things to sort of ramp up and get rolling again, because, it, you know, most of the work can be done just by having actors come into a, a booth and record their voices, yeah. right? And um, and a lot of that stuff could also, you know, be, be done at home too if people had the right setup. So, so they kind of were the first ones to do that pivot, so to speak. Um, and then the animation could be done on people's workstations, you know, in, in their private studios or homes or wherever it is, right? So. So I had two series that were going on. For, um, one of them's finished now. It's a show called Let's Go Luna, which uh, was a really cute PBS show. Very different from Flashpoint. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. They did, uh, I think, 65 or 66 episodes of it. And, um, and it was basically, it's the kind of show that if my kids were the right age, like that preschool age, right. uh, I would have 
been thrilled if they were watching this show. It just was so, it was just all good stuff about learning about different cultures around the world. Okay. So you had this like th this trio of three characters that were traveling around in a circus. And every two, sh every two episodes, they would end up in a new country. And, you know, part of the fun was them just going out and exploring and learning about the culture of that place. So, you know, one, one, a couple of episodes, you're in, let's say, England, and then you're in India, and then you're in um, Africa, or they even went up to like Juneau, Alaska, or one show they're in uh, um, New Orleans, right? And what and what do you what do you learn when you when you're trying to learn about the culture of a place? Well, you're learning about the food, and you're learning about the music, and you're learning about sometimes the language and um, sports that they play there, like different you know things like that. So, so the music it was a real musical journey and challenge. Uh, I was scoring it with with my uh, colleague Amin and also with another friend uh, Chris Kuzdak. Uh, the three of us were doing it together and it was, yeah, like we really had to learn a lot about, you know, what is Thailand music? Sound right. Like? And what does the music sound like in, uh, um, I'm trying to think of, oh, in, in, in Cusco, Peru. And, you know, like it's really, it was, uh, it was a, a tour of the world. Anyway, that one's done now. And now I, I'm working on a show called Rosie's Rules, which is another PBS preschool show about a, little girl who's in kind of a, a mixed family like she she lives in her family's in the south of texas and her father's mexican and her mother's american and so there's a lot of mexican culture in the show even though the show's you know mostly all english with little bits of spanish phrases here and there um there's lots of Mexican culture and there's lots of Mexican music in the show. So that's, that's also been kind of interesting and challenging. Have you, uh, you know, said to the, to the money people, I need to go to Mexico to further my <laughs> understanding of their culture, or I need to go to Peru. It's funny that you say that because we did, we did actually take a, in April, I took my family to Mexico for uh a vacation over um over it was over the passover break you know and, mm -hmm. uh, and i was joking with the producers like i'm you know i'm going to be charging this to the, <laughs> the to the to the to the company this is all research based you know? yeah <laughs> the mariachi band that that's right played for you at the at the resort no it's true but they but it's actually like you know they've been very very careful and specific about the process and trying to make sure things are genuine and um, as authentic as possible along the way. And I really, I respect that. Um, and I've been, the, the show involves, uh, you know, we were talking about songwriting earlier. The show involves a lot of songwriting. Like every, every episode has two, um, uh, a recurring song and an original song. So, oh, wow. and, and, uh, yeah, and there's 80 episodes, so it's like that's a lot of songs to write. Yeah, um, you know they're not full length like three and a half or four minute songs. They're usually like one minute songs or maybe like 50 okay. to 50 seconds to one minute. But they're very specific about this is the curriculum. This show is they're learning about this, and we want the song to support that. And so I've been spending a lot of time thinking about those kinds of lyrics, and they and they. Um, partnered me up with a woman named Amanda Martinez, who's um, a half Mexican um, musician, singer, songwriter. And so she's been writing the songs with me and she does the Spanish and 
I'm on Google Translate all the time, trying to, <laughs> trying to learn how to pronounce yeah. Spanish phrases. It's really funny. But uh, almost through the almost through all the songs, we're we're down to the short strokes now. So that's great. And, and is it on now, or is it is it coming soon? It's it's only uh, starting in the fall, I think, in October. Okay. But let's go oh, Luna. Yeah. You, can, you can catch Let's Go Luna, and and um, and you know, just uh, it's for the last two years. Let's Go Luna has actually won this, the Canadian Screen Award for Best music in an animated series so i'm quite proud of that and i you know it's not just me it's my whole music team but um but it's it's nice to get that recognition first for a show that we've worked hard on you've won a number of the canadian screen awards you've won a juno uh, just one juno or has there mm. been more than one no no i i i only won juno and and really like the juno was for someone who's originally from ottawa you sure jen gould yeah yeah music soup Music Soup, yeah. So I, yeah. I I produced that record and and co-wrote some of the songs with her. But you know, officially, really, the the Juno Award was given to her for best children's album. I just I like to take some of the credit for having produced and arranged it. <laughs> but uh, but it's not my Juno. I, I did I did buy one. Like they you don't, they only give you one free Juno statue. Oh, I didn't, yeah. I didn't they know only that. they only give you one free Juno statue. So you know, I I, I had to like fill out a form and pay for mine just so I could have a statue. But I thought, Oh, it was that's so funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, Amin and I have been lucky. We, we, we have, uh, you know, we've won a few Canadian screen awards. Uh, our most recent ones have been for, uh, like I said, for let's go Luna, but we also, um, not this past year, but the year before we were, we were working on a show called Detention Adventure, which is on CBC uh, and CBC Jam. And it's sort of a, a show for, you know, tweens, kind of uh, kids in middle school getting into trouble and, and making like these remarkable discoveries and, you know, getting, in, getting into all kinds of shenanigans. Um, and, so, and so that show actually, in the same year that we, we got the award for Luna, we also got the award for Detention Adventure for best music in a dramatic series. So that was kind of like a sweep for us, which was unusual, yeah. you know? Yeah, but, but I think the, the, you know, if we're gonna talk about that achievements, for me, the, the pinnacle really was Anne with an E. Um, Amin mm -hmm. and I scored that show for three seasons and it was really well received on Netflix around the world. And um, and we just had such a, it was a very, very challenging gig because the, the showrunner was super, super creative, but, and, but like so specific and just had such a sp strong vision for every aspect of the show. And so it was, it was tough, but it was very rewarding. Um, and she's, I mean, not anyone, not everyone would, was, would know her name, but Moira Wally Beckett was the woman who was running, the, who had written the show and was the showrunner. And I knew her from Breaking Bad. She was like one of the writers on Breaking Bad who, you know, won an Emmy Awards for the show a, a couple of times and was, be, you know, became a, a writer and producer on that show in the in the final seasons and um just like such a force you know so we we like we're so lucky to work with her and, and learn so much that is a, a huge departure though going from from breaking bad to to end with the end of, 
and, and with the knee. Yes, yeah. yes, it's true. Um, but it just shows that she's just skilled, you know. I mean, yeah. she also wrote a really uh, a beautiful uh, uh, film in somewhere in there as well called uh, The Grizzlies, I think it was called, and it was a story about um, about a uh, what's it called team, a lacrosse team in that that came like a from up in not was it like one of the territories, like it was either in the, in, in the Northwest Territories or in uh, the Yukon, I can't remember. Um, but they, but you know, mostly Aboriginal um, players and about this coach who, you know, this white coach who came up there and taught them and brought them down to play in a tournament. It was just a beautiful, beautiful movie and story. Just, wait, uh, sorry, there's gonna be a lawnmower that's gonna go by right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of sitting in my backyard doing this um what was i gonna ask you are you um will showrunners or, or or directors or bring you to different jobs because of the the work you've done with them in the past are you are you always collaborating with the same people or does it change up um well you know i in theory you like to leave a good trail behind you so that the same people keep coming back to you um, and that truly was the case with, um, like when we did Flashpoint, the show, the creators of that show, who who uh, were the writers and creators, but they weren't really the sh they weren't really that involved in in running the show. It was more the producers, but their names are uh, um, Stephanie Morgenstern and and uh, Mark Ellis, and and they uh, hired us for their next show that they made, you know, based on our work on that. It was a show called X Company, which was about uh, World War II and sort of the Canadian spies that were, or like there was a camp here in Canada that uh, yeah. was called Camp X and there was, it, it trained international spies and, and sent them abroad to, you know, to fight the Nazis. and. So we did three seasons of that show, and that was completely based on on Mark and Stephanie having loved our work before, you know. Um, and and you know sometimes one thing just as, as I'm sure you know leads to the next. Like this this showrunner talks to that showrunner, or you know say, oh, you, you should work with these guys; they're awesome. Right. Like, and we actually got the Anne with an E job while we were still on the very last maybe couple episodes of of X Company, and and. Uh, the, the producer of Anne with an E had actually already hired someone else for the job, but it just wasn't working out. And they were like, you know, kind of in dire straits because they had to hit the ground running. And they just ended up talking to Mark and Stephanie and, and said, you know, do you mind if we steal these guys or if they if they moonlight for a little bit to just to, to get us going? And well, even though they're still working on your show and they were very gracious about it. and. Um, and that's how we got that gig. So, but the, you know, it's not always, not everyone's loyal all the time. And there's all kinds of reasons why people end up moving to work with different people. A lot of times it has to do with tax credits in TV, you know, like oh. we're gonna, we're gonna film this movie here in Winnipeg, for example, and we have to use a Manitoba composer in order to get the tax credits or the same could be said for Quebec or, or BC, you know, so it, sometimes you have someone in your corner, but they just can't, they can't work with you because there's just money issues that, that are making it impossible. 
I had no idea about that. Is that maybe why sometimes at the end of like a, a Marvel movie, for instance, where you know that there's money to, to back it, you'll see a BC film credit at the at the end of the credits. Um well yeah, I guess they they, they do probably take advantage of certain aspects of, of that when they can you know maybe they can do uh some some sound effects or some post production there with mixing or whatever and if they if they spend the money in that province they'll get some tax credits back you know and it, it helps with the bottom line um and it even happens on a on a on a city level as well like that that um uh, you know, sometimes a lot of people in Ontario have been going to Hamilton to shoot things yes. because you get you get tax credits for going and shooting there. You know, they're just trying to they're trying to um, encourage business, right? So, what's um, uh, what's his name? I'm going to get the director's name wrong because I want to say Benicio del Toro, but oh no, it's Guillermo. Guillermo. Yeah. Guillermo. Yeah, he. I think his last two films were done in Hamilton. Well, that that makes sense, and I mean, he lives in Toronto, I think, right? Um, really? Yeah, yeah. He I came no here. Idea. Yeah, he came here uh, quite a while ago for for some work, and just fell in love with the city. Apparently, I mean, I imagine he still has a place in Mexico too. But um, huh. but uh, yeah, in fact, I just watched his uh, his movie uh, that was nominated for Oscars last year, uh, Nightmare Alley. Have you seen that? I yeah. What did you? I loved it. Oh, I thought it was amazing. That was amazing. Yeah. The end to me was just the ultimate, like, I don't know, like long con. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? I know. Like, it was such a great full circle kind of. Yes. I don't want to give any spoilers, but. Uh, no, I know. But, it was, but when when he's being told that, when Bradley Cooper is being told that at the, be- at, at the beginning of the movie. You yeah. kind of don't really. You're just sort of okay. Whatever. It's a, it's a story that we're being told. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But then when it comes back to bite him in the ah, oh, I loved it. I know. I know. It really. And then then and you don't. It's true. Like you kind of, like somewhere halfway through that scene when I I, I started to realize it and I was like, oh my god, this is brilliant. Like that's just brilliant writing. You know. Yeah. And it he's really so was. good. I mean, he is so fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. He really is. Um, I'm trying to. It was right around. The, I watched that, and I also watched the Power of the Dog. Oh yeah, sort yeah, like that's no, that was killer. That movie. Time, again though, like the the ending. You're like, was he doing that on purpose? Like, did he did the the kid do that on purpose? Was that mm. like? What well, do you think? I don't know. Again, I don't want to give any spoilers, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I I I I do think that. He. It was a question of who who's gonna who's gonna win out, my mom or yeah. my or my uh, lover, so to speak. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? Like maybe in five or six years we can revisit this conversation because if we were to like say now, well, Bruce Willis was a ghost, and you know that's what happened. <laughs> we're not. You know, we're, it's okay. It's been long enough. Right? right. Right. That's right. Nobody's gonna go. Those fuckers ruined the sixth sense for me. Right. Wait, Darth Vader's his father? What? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I have a, I have two well, two things I want to ask you, but they've been bugging, they don't, they're bugging me. Was there a story with you and Oscar Peterson when you were at York? Yeah, not really too much of a story, but he he was uh, 
you know, he was the chancellor at York right. for part of the time that I was there. And so he was hanging, he was hanging around sometimes in the music department and you would, I, I never actually got to see him in the music department, but, but I did hear stories about how occasionally he would, he would get sort of escorted in with one of the teachers just to check things out in a, in like a jazz workshop kind of thing. And he'd sit down at the piano and, you know, oh, you should try this, these kinds of chords and blah, blah, blah. You know? <laughs> and it's like, I, I can't, you know, like you can reach 12 notes apart with your left hand. Like <laughs> no, nobody can do that. But I did get to meet him on the day that I graduated. Uh, oh, wow. When, when we went, I went to the graduation ceremony because I had won an award for jazz piano which, you know, when I look back on that, I feel like it's kind of funny because I never really amounted to much in the, in the world of jazz piano, but um, but I, maybe, maybe it was slim pickings for the competition, I'm not sure. <laughs> but I won this prize and so I got to go up on stage and, uh, and accept it and, and the Chancellor of York, Oscar Peterson, was on the stage. And uh, I got to shake his hand and, and his hand like just enveloped mine like you know wow. twice the size of my hand and or more <laughs> and i said to him i said i'm coming after you just as a joke and he, <laughs> he sort of he sort of smiled he said i'll be waiting <laughs> <laughs> oh that's amazing yeah it was a good moment yeah it was funny it, is there a photo someone has to have a photo of this handshake. oh well i sure don't i i don't i mean my parents weren't there i don't know if one of my friends who was there in the audience would have thought to take it. It's a good question. I actually never pursued it. Because now there'd be 30,000 photos of that moment. Right, right. You know? I, could, I could make an NFT and sell it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see that I kind of understand, but not really. I still, yeah, I, I don't. More than the it, stock market. <laughs> right. The other thing is you were involved in the uh, John Mann tribute evening yes how did you know that uh well for i love spirit of the west um a very underrated i I, in my world i put spirit of the west above the tragically hip but that's just me oh i would do the same in a heartbeat Um, in a heartbeat and i i was lucky enough to meet john mann years and years and years ago at the governor general's in ottawa i got invited to a uh she, this is when Adrian Clarkson was governor general oh, yeah. and she would put on these elaborate concerts every summer. And I was writing commercials for the radio station and um, we, the governor general, these concerts were, were one of my clients. So I would get invited to these elaborate parties, which were ridiculous, yeah. but they'd have these receptions beforehand in the tent room. And um, I got to meet John Mann and, uh, and just, I love Spirit of the West. And then I was lucky enough to see him with the Art of Time Ensemble oh. shortly before I think he came out that he had the early onset Alzheimer's. Right. And they did, um, it was him, Stephen Page, uh, the guy from the Sky Diggers, Maze. Oh yeah, and Andy Maze, yeah, Andy Maze. He, he does a lot of stuff with Art of Time too, that's right. Yeah, Andy Mays and um, somebody from The Odds. I forget his name. Oh, that might be... Um, oh, uh, Craig. Craig. I'll think of it. Yeah. Anyway, but they, they did um, they did Sergeant Pepper from start to finish. Ooh. 
Yeah. And it was amazing. And then, of course, you know, he, but I, I, I think I saw there's like a video of, of the of the night uh, on YouTube. Well, we did we did a few years of or you mean a video of the of the tribute or of the of conference? the tribute. Yeah. yeah. So we did a few years of that. So uh, I think maybe four, four or five years of it um, until at the last like at the at the very last one, he was too thick really to come. Um, but, but, you know, the rest of the band was there and, um, and still had a full house of, of Spirit of the West fans. But, um, but I'll tell you, like, uh, so the reason that I got involved with that is because I'm very good friends with Chris Tate, formerly of, uh, Chalk Circle. I don't know if you remember them. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, he and I have worked together for years and, um, and he's the one who sort of started to organize that night and, um, and as a result, I got to be, uh, just by pro proximity, I got to be the house band keyboard player. So, you know, we, we, we put the same band together each year. I think the first couple of years we did it at the Horseshoe um, and then it moved to bigger band spaces. We eventually were doing it at the Phoenix. Um, and I think you and you remember the Phoenix. You and I, you yeah. and I, you and I saw Joe Jackson there one time. Yes. Yeah. I actually still have the uh, the cassette that you bootlegged. About. Oh wow! Oh my gosh! Even, I don't even remember doing that. <laughs> oh, uh, to further embarrass, you snuck in. You snuck the tape. Well, you snuck the tape recorder in in a fanny pack. <laughs> I never wore a fanny pack, John. <laughs> Okay, so maybe I snuck it in. <laughs> Somebody brought it in in a fatty pack, but I have I have the the recording somewhere. It was I a good recording I, I too. I do I do remember the I do remember the cassette player that I had. This little portable Walkman that you yeah. put on. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah. Um, which came in handy sometimes. But um, anyway, just just to say, like, what an honor it was to be a part of those shows. Like, it really was incredible, and you you know you. You, they, they filled the stage with Canadian talent, and the yeah. deal, the deal was, you'd come and you'd sing one of your own songs, and then you'd sing a cover, of the Tragically Hip, right? And uh, no, of Spirit of the West. I'm sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, Spirit of the we're West. Talking, yeah. We were talking about that. No, no, no. Yeah, Spirit of the West. Yeah, but some, but but Tragically Hip songs did come up too occasionally. Okay. But but, uh, but um, you know, one time uh, I remember. Well, first of all. I got to accompany uh, Jim Cuddy from Blue Rodeo, oh, which wow. was just like a like a dream come true. And um, Tom Cochran was there uh, one time, and um, you know, like in, like um, what's her name? Uh, uh, not Sarah Harmer. Um, well, anyway, Sarah remember Danny Graves? He would do he would do some okay. from you know from The Watchmen. You'd, you'd yeah. get uh, Danny Michelle. You'd get. Uh, just like uh, Molly, um, uh, Molly. Oh my God, my memory's so bad now. But but like, just you'd get like a, an incredible eclectic, you know, sort of mix of of Canadian talent, right? And um, yeah. And I did, you know, get to meet John Mann and 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 meet the band, and and you know, even when he was still kind of more lucid. And I'll tell you, just one of my best memories of of doing those shows is I remember walking into the Horseshoe. Um, cause, cause the show was starting with like him and some spirit of the West doing some, doing some stuff first, and then we were going to be on. And I remember walking into a packed horseshoe and just coming in at the back there 
and the place is dead silent and he's on stage with the acoustic guitar and there's a his his buddy playing accordion and they're just playing Venice is sinking and I was just oh, like wow. oh my and that's like my favorite song of theirs you know and I was just just like mesmerized by you know he he's an he was an amazing songwriter amazing yeah yeah he yeah it was one of those things that when he passed away and like I don't want to compare you know the the outpouring of public sympathy or whatever but there wasn't enough for john man <laughs> right right you know well, yeah, but like, right. they were they were a band that was sort of a little bit under the radar in a way right you know yeah but, but man every time you know, sorry yeah. go ahead no i was gonna say every time i saw them it was always a great show it was always a party and it was even though it was it was kind of a, it was always the same songs you know They'd slip in a new, a few new ones, but when they played the hits, it was just, it was what you wanted to hear. It just put you in a great mood. They were always, yeah, yeah put you in a great mood for sure. Like that one, you know, the big party song that was their big hit, right? I've been drunk. Yeah, from, you know, yeah you'll have to excuse me. I'm not at my best. Yeah, like what an anthem that is, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was hard. It was hard to. I remember, like two years after that, I saw him. Um, we were doing the show again and he came with his wife and the band but he wasn't in he wasn't in any shape to be on stage you know um the prior year he could still get on stage and not play the guitar anymore but he could at least still sing or just like kind of dance on stage and and sometimes and they had a a prompter for him with lyrics so that you know he, he could he could sing when he when he felt like it but um yeah. but the last year i remember he just was you know he was not lucid enough to be on stage. So he was just kind of doing his own thing and his wife was looking after him and it was sad. It was like, you know, yeah. not fair. Life is not fair. Yeah. Um, I often wonder if it's something in the uh, in the earpieces. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, interesting. Well, because of him and then because of, of um, Gord Downey. I never thought about that. But it's very different. Like one's cancer, right, and one's. Um... Well, that's right. One, he was he was onset early onset Alzheimer's. Right? Yeah, yeah. What? So, whomever influenced you when you were, when you were growing up, does that person or do that do those people do they still influence you today or, or are you past that? Hmm. You mean like musical influences? Yeah. Well, you know, don't you. <laughs> Like, yes, for sure. Like, and, and I mean, but I feel like it's kind of arrested development, you know, like we all sort of, at a certain point, this is my favorite music. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not getting new favorite music now. This is no, not me, no, no, it's not happening. <laughs> right. <I tried. laughs> so, you know, even though I do listen to new stuff and I'm exposed to so much new stuff through my kids, especially, yeah. especially my oldest son, who's a real even though he doesn't play an instrument, he is a very, uh, he's got a very keen ear for good music and he's always exploring new artists and he's always like, dad, you got to check this out. And dad, listen to this. And, and, you know, like he stayed up till midnight for the, for the new Kendrick Lamar album to drop. Right. So he could hear it from start to finish when it, right. when it dropped. Right. Like, so I, I love that. I'm getting exposed to all that stuff, but, but I, you know, 
I grew up on the Beach Boys and I grew up on Joe Jackson and on U2 and um, Squeeze. Like th th those yeah. things, those things will never be erased from, you know, that part of my mind that is like my favorite music, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and, 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 you know, and, in terms of the composing that I do now, I, it's probably more influenced by some of the some of the film composers that I love, like Thomas Newman and, um, uh, you know, uh, Ennio Morricone and like, you know, there's just certain, and Keith, uh, there's not a film composer, but Keith Jarrett, I've, I've just always been like mm. completely mental over Keith Jarrett and have, have logged many, many hours trying to sound like him, um, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, those things still do absolutely influence me. It's been quite a journey you've had, huh? From uh, from tickling the ivories in the counselor's lounge at Camp Pripstein's, which is where <laughs> I first met you. That's right. That's right. I guess so. I guess, I mean, I'm going to be 52 this year. I guess you're probably the same, right? Same age, yeah. Uh, 1970, baby. So, um, uh, but can I ask you something? Do you, do you, did I? Sure. Am I, does this going to sound crazy, but did I see something on Facebook about you and auctioneering? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I, uh, I decided, I decided, I was bored during the pandemic. Right. And I, uh, I took a class with the Missouri School of Auctioneering online. Uh, it, was a, it was roughly around a two-week course. And at the end of it, um, I took a test and I became my... Licensed auctioneer. A licensed auctioneer. How about that? I like. I yeah. could. I could kind of see you doing that. Yeah. I, and, and, I, it was funny though because you know we're all like, it was all done via Zoom. Had had there been no pandemic, I would have had to have gone to. I don't even know where they are in Missouri, mm -hmm. and it would have been you know a one week intensive class. But we did it um, all all via Zoom, and leading up to it, you know the the guy who's it's been in this guy's family for over a hundred years. Um, and so leading up to it, he sent the drills and the, and, you know, some lessons to listen to and whatnot. And, um, and the first night we're, we're all in the zoom together. There's like 15 of us maybe. And he's like, all right, we're going to start it out. Um, okay. Uh, John Baker, show us what you got. <laughs> and I'm like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? Out of the game. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, there's no like, hey, I'm John, I'm from Virginia, like none of that. It's like, no, it just shows what you got. So I'm sitting in one room, my family's in the other room having dinner. And uh, I'm like, you know, stumbling my way through this thing. But are you just, are you, but are you doing it from some kind of a script? Are you making it up or like, what is it? Oh, no, he was, he was like, start at $10. Okay. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> so, and then he would he would hold you know a little card up when he wanted you to jump to he was ten dollars with ten dollar increments so right. he'd hold you know hold the card up and um, there were a lot of people in it who who had started businesses that they were either in auctioneering uh, you know in some capacity and they wanted to you know do it professionally or they were selling like you know uh, they they called them like. Amazon coffin boxes, which from what I under could I figure this out, I think on my own, it's like everything you return to Amazon that they can't resell, mm. they will package up in a box and you, you know, I guess you blind bid on the box and then you, you know, you resell it. Oh, interesting. It's like a little surprise bag. 
basically yeah it's like that storage wars you know where you don't know what you're getting in the in the in the locker wow um but i only wanted to do it because i thought you know if if i could just start doing charity auctions because i'm not gonna you know go and do some you know uh farm machinery auction or cattle auction <laughs> like it's not gonna be that's not me well, I mean, it, it is hard to imagine, but you know, you never, you never could, know. You never know. You never know. But then, this, so we're we're all going through it, and everybody's like, we're all stumbling, like right out of the gate, like nobody's do, like some people didn't do the exercises. I was lucky enough that at least I did them. This one kid from from Texas who's like nineteen, and he's sitting there. He's got his cowboy hat on, and uh, and the the uh, the instructor's like, okay, you know, show us what you got. And he goes into this thing. It was like, you would have thought the guy had been doing this for 50 years. It was amazing. Wow. <laughs> and the guy said, he's like, yeah, I've grown up around it, you know, my whole life. And But, I mean, I couldn't understand a word he was saying. Like, well, not a, a lot word. Of gibberish, isn't there? Like, there's a lot of filler, isn't there? It's a lot of filler. It's yeah. a lot of filler. But um, you got to keep it, like, energy. Keep the energy going. Yeah. Yeah. It's But it's fun. I mean, every, every now and then if I want to, you know, piss somebody off this this actually the, the reason i wanted to do it was because i saw a clip of somebody being yelled at and the guy who was getting yelled at was not responding to the person yelling at him he was just auctioning and that was making the other person angry <laughs> so it would be like if you were yelling at your kids you know clean up your room do your homework and your kid was just sitting there going like you know i had not a bit now what now what now what now what now <laughs> yeah, that would piss me off. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so you saw right, yeah. And you and and so just besides that, are you uh like I'm sure that's not a a thing you're doing as a career as you said. Are you still doing radio work or are you uh or is No. I did um I did some uh contract work with the the company. I worked for the Canadian Real Estate Association before I came here. Mm. So when we first moved here, I did some contract work for them. And then right before the pandemic, I was working at the high school with, um, I was an instructional aide to kids with disabilities. Oh, wow. Um, and I did that for like three months and then lockdown. So right. I finished out the year with them, but online. Oh, wow. And um, and that was that was interesting. It was something I knew nothing about. They, they just really needed somebody to, you know, fill a gap for a few months. Um, and the kids were unbelievable. Like there, it was, it was, it was hard work because these kids are, you know, some are extremely challenged and some are, are, you know, you don't need to watch them as, as much. Um, right. But they were great. And then actually it was, it was fun because fun. It was, it was really heartwarming, I guess, because when my daughter graduated this past June, some of those special needs kids were graduating as well. So oh, wow. I was able to like be there and go like, oh yeah, that's one of my kids. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it's fun. It, it, they were, they were good kids and I'd come home and, you know, Jen, I would tell her like these, you know, bonkers stories about my day, but apparently it was just normal, a normal day for, hmm. for some people. Right. So. Right, right, right. And yeah. So now, so, so now in Virginia, you're you're, you're retired, or are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I run the house, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, 
I'm looking. I'm all, I'm I'm looking for a job. Eh, we'll see. I've had a few interviews in the last couple of weeks, but it's overrated work anyway. Yeah, <laughs> there is. If you if you're ever in the neighborhood, there's a great venue um, nearby. It's called Wolf Trap. It's it's actually a place I want to work, and I've had an interview with them, but it just didn't work out. Um, but it's a, it's an amphitheater in a national park. Oh. And so every year from roughly like the end of May until mid-September, that's when their outdoor concert season is. Right. And then the rest of the year, they have uh, the barns, they call it. It's actually a, a barn. The woman who donated the land, she uh, had a barn. I forget wherever she grew up. I don't know. I think it was in like rural New Jersey, maybe. I could be wrong. But she transferred that barn to the park. And they refurbished it, and it's a concert venue. Oh, cool! And it seats like maybe two hundred. Um, the amphitheater seats, I think, four thousand, maybe. Oh wow! But it's um, nice to go, see, yeah, to see outdoor concerts like that. Oh, it's so great! We're actually going in September to see Sting. Sweet. Um, we usually go a couple. My my wife in her old job they had front row seats because the the owner of the company was a donor and he had these like front row seats for um for for the amphitheater so we were lucky enough to see thrill of my life by the way was i'm at these i'm front row at culture club <laughs> and uh and boy george told me he loved my jacket and i was like that's it i'm good yeah like, it's, it's Unbelievable! Die happy with that for sure. Yeah, I was like, "All right, we can leave now." That's <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, I've seen but... I've seen Sting a few times, and I always love seeing him. It's it's he's amazing. But um, but uh, I do. I was just you were just reminding me of the other Joe Jackson concert that we saw, which was at the Saint Denis Theater. Yes, uh, nineteen forever, and that's got to be one of the best concerts I ever saw. So, yeah, it yeah we um we saw him. I think it was just a few months ago in DC. Oh, really? Eh? Yeah, he, he um, he's still doing it. He's still doing it. This was just like a basically a greatest hits tour. Mm. He he put out an album a few years ago, and we saw it's that's the one thing I'll say about living in in this area is there's all the acts come through here, <laughs> so, right? Right? Yeah, it's the, like the, they, they can hit a lot of spots in that same little. Area, yeah right? so yeah even if yeah if you can't make it in washington baltimore is an hour away that's right that's right yeah and um but what was interesting was years ago when i volunteered at the ottawa blues fest um i became friends with joe's drummer oh and actually that's a whole other story that i i, I won't get into but i spent the whole day driving joe around really um, oh wow yeah which was <laughs> like you know, you watching John Mann play uh, "If Venice Is Sinking." Yeah, that like that's the same thing as for me driving him around. You know, all day. That's crazy. Um, that's yeah, crazy. it was, it was just a surreal experience, and I hate using that word. <laughs> but, well, let's tell me more about that when we have more. It time. was, but anyway. So yeah, I became friends with his drummer, and um, and I've interviewed him, and I've interviewed uh, his guitar player. Cool. But not Graham after, Well, no, I've no, but I've met Graham a few times because um, 
once we saw them in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and his drummer Doug invited us backstage after. Joe's never there backstage. He's like on the bus. Out of there. Yeah. But uh, but I did get to meet Graham maybe and his wife, and he's just you would not know that that guy is seventy. Whoa! He just looks he looks good. Oh, unbelievable! Unbelievable. Anyway, good gene. Listen. <laughs> we've been we've been doing this for over an hour and oh, uh it's, but it's like yeah it's, i knew there was going to be some catch-up involved but i, I don't yeah. know maybe you'll have to edit some of it for you i feel but i was going to say i feel bad if i have to edit stuff out but i i'll just edit stuff about me out <laughs> it's not about me it's about you right well if you get a chance uh i was going to just say off the record that, that um during covid i did a few collaborations with this singer named Lori cullen Okay. And, um, if you go on Facebook and you look up, um, you know, Lori Cullen and Ari Posner. Uh, How do you spell her name? It's uh, L-O-R-I and then C-U-L-L-E-N. And uh, these were remote sort of collaborations where I just did a piano track for her in my space and then sent it to her and then she would record vocals and then we get someone else to mix it. And um, yeah, there's they're just sweet sweet songs that i know you'll like um some some by like one by joni mitchell and a couple by paul simon um, is uh it, is she any relation to sean Cullen, the comedian no no i think there's oh, a okay. different different color yeah i'm ask yeah do you ever find yourself in uh in this neck of the world no, but but go no on. one comes to America anymore. Uh, no, it's a, not a place that I that particular part of the states that I frequent. But uh, gosh, uh, now now that I know that you're there, I will yeah make sure to if we're if we're nearby to uh, to look you up for sure for sure. Next time I'm in Toronto, which could be in the fall. Maybe. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I think I might have a bat mitzvah. Oh, sure. sweet. Well, you should. Oh. Sh- you know what? I'm actually going to be there in September. I just realized my friend's daughter's getting married. Oh, if wow. If I stay the weekend, then we'll figure something out. Definitely. Even just to get together for a beer or coffee or something, you know? Yeah. That would be yeah. awesome. All right. I would love to see you. Yeah, it's been that too was, long. That was, that was super fun. Feels like no yeah. time has passed, even though 30 years. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank you. Thank and, you. And uh, I'm going to get this up probably on Monday, so I'll uh, I'll tag you in it. Oh, cool. Well, you is it just I can just go to your uh, yeah your site and uh, I'll find it like that. It'll be there. Yeah. Awesome. Take care of yourself, Ari. I really appreciate this. Uh, it's a pleasure. I'm glad you reached out. Okay, I'll All talk right. to you soon. Thank you for listening to that. It, it, it was that easy. To just, you know, send him a message on Facebook and say, hey, Ari, let's catch up. And he was like, I, I would love to. So nice. There were a few things I, I forgot to um, ask him about. Uh, if I do remember correctly, when we were living together in residence, um, he had a, uh, it wasn't a solo cup. It was probably just like, you know, a little plastic cup that he kept full of, of Q-tips as sort of a, hey, welcome to my room. Do you need to clean your ears? And I forgot to ask him if he remembered uh, having that it was very useful and not recommended by any ear ear nose and throat doctor so um like we talked about in the interview let's go luna rosie's rules flashpoint attention adventure 
I mean, the guy worked with, you know, the, the person who was a showrunner or, or create or worked on some scripts with Breaking Bad for Breaking Bad. And then the woman does Anne with an E, like two bonkers, you know, ends of the spectrum of but just goes to show you, you know, if you have a creative mind, you can apply that creativity to, you know, different genres. And um, I want to thank Ari for 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 uh, taking the time out of his day to meet with me and to chat with me. And I'm going to try to find someone to interview because I'm kind of enjoying this again, getting back on the proverbial um, podcast horse. It was my horse, so his name was podcast. And you found out a little bit about my uh, why I decided to be an auctioneer. Or maybe you just skipped over that, and that's fine too. Thank you for listening. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter, uh, The Real John Baker. On Facebook, we're probably friends. If not, reach out and be my friend. And. Um, and you can also, you know, the number two, the word lazy, the number two, the word right.com. Uh, that'll take you to the website. And then you could post a nasty comment if you want. And um, I wonder, did I say anything that would get canceling me? No, no, I didn't. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourself. And like I said at the very beginning, call the friends you haven't spoken to in a while. It is going to be worthwhile. You are going to find out something that you know you've you've uh, passed over all these years and you know do it before it's too late all right take care of yourselves and thank you thank you for listening we'll talk soon bye too lazy, too-